Good morning. Um, so, not all of you know who I am, um, but uh, just a little about me. I'm married to Kelly, and uh, we have three children. Um, Brooklyn, who is eight. Um, Marcus Alexander, who we call Alex, is six. And uh, baby Ella Claire, who's 10 months. Um, so... <clears throat> I'd like to tell you that sleepless nights at 50 years of age are really sweet, um, but they're not at all. Um, but I will tell you this, she did sleep for the first time all night last night, so um, God, God, God was listening. Um, and uh, so uh, I've, I've been uh, calling her my glorious interruption. And uh, I had a man correct me on that. He said, no, she's your glorious sovereign interruption. So, thank you for that, Lord. Um, so, from the very start, um, what I know about Convoy and formerly Man Church was that the charge was to connect the men. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys have really noticed, but, you know, the sailboat with the saying on it, on the website, it says, Satan looks for those vessels that sail without convoy. You know, and I missed that for a season, but then I saw it one day and I thought, wow. Satan looks for men who are isolated. Um, so, you know, why am I speaking to you today? Really, it's, it's the grace of God that I'm even here. And that word grace, unmerited favor, unmerited favor. Um, second is a real important factor is because a man, a man, one man, um, was obedient to the gentle promptings of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we'll get more on that later in the story. So just for a small amount of background, um, um, you know, and I'm going to talk about some sensitive things this morning, um, and I don't do it to be sensational or, you know, provocative, but it's really important for me to lay the groundwork from where God brought me to where I am today. Um, so I, I grew up in, a, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, I grew up in a home without a father um, in the home. My parents were divorced, um, and I think that's where the enemy first entered into the picture to introduce isolation into my life. Because in the 70s, divorce really wasn't very common. You know, so I lived with a single mom, um, and that felt really alone. You know, most people had their families intact during that time. Um, so I had no spiritual direction of any kind. You know, mom did what she could. Um, um, so, you know, this kind of led me into the teen years. Um, a typical story, you know, trying to find my identity as a man. Um, so what do we do when we have no direction and no counsel and no uh, father? Um, we, so we look for um, identities, and s some men struggle with other things. I, I struggled with everything. You know, I, I sought my identity in, in, in women, uh, alcohol abuse, drug abuse. Um, you know, I was sailing in convoy with some guys, but we were like a bunch of pirates, and we were just out looking to see what we could take for ourselves. We didn't care about others at all. Um, you know, and after years of that, I was just weary and just beat down. And uh, 
I found myself looking for an escape hatch, and uh, I, uh, that kind of led me into my first marriage. You know, I'm going to escape this life, and I'm going to get into this life. It's a great idea, right? Uh, so the kids started coming. You know, we ended up having four daughters together. Um, the responsibility was completely overwhelming. I had no tools, no guidance, uh, no counsel, um, no foxhole. There was no foxhole of men to help. Um, and I didn't have any real outlets for stress. So remember, Satan looks for the vessel with sailing without convoy? That was me. Um, so any margin that I had that I could have used for my family, um, I used to pursue my dream of being an antique dealer, which, man, that was great for a season. Um, made a lot of money. Um, you know, it really fed my ego as a man. I was able to, you know, enter into this world in my early 20s. Um, you know, I traveled all over the country. Um, and, and that worked for me for a while. But then the bone-crushing schedule really caught up with me, and I began to use drugs to, to keep up with that schedule. Um, imagine, you know, I had a full-time job. Um, I had an antique business that required me to travel all over the country. Um, I mean, I would get up at 3 a.m. and load a truck by myself and drive it to Dallas, make my rounds, and then I would drive straight back, and I would go to work at 3 p.m., and I would work till 11. That's the kind of schedule I was trying to keep up with. And, uh, you know, I remember hearing my family at that time talk about pizza and movie night, and I was like, what pizza and movie night? I don't even know what you're talking about. They had, they had a life that I was unaware of. They had built their own life because I was missing. Um, so I felt like a stranger in my own home, um, isolated. You know, so once again, you know, I began to look for a relief from that, and that kind of led me into a, a series of affairs with other women. Um, you know, I thought that was uh, fine. You know, I had my life, and they had their life. You know, I had my life at home, and then I had my life outside of home. Um, once again, you know, making decisions, no counsel, no accountability of any kind, um, until the unthinkable happened. And uh, the woman I was having an affair with became pregnant. You know, I was desperate. No way out of this situation. I just, I wanted my life back, the other life. Um, you know, I'd scheduled a vacation with my wife, and uh, we traveled to the Bahamas, and uh, literally I was so out of control at that point in my life, I, I smuggled drugs on my person, on the plane, through customs, into the Bahamas. That's, that's crazy, right? Um, you know, there were some low points during the, the separation. Um, I, uh, you know, I was using drugs and uh, was isolated from, separated from my four daughters completely. And uh, there was an event that happened on, on a Christmas Eve where, you know, I was sitting down the street from my home thinking, what has happened to my life? How did this happen to me? And uh, my wife had a protective order against me at that time. And I ended up getting arrested. Uh, there was a really big problem about getting arrested. I had drugs in my wallet. And as we're driving down to the, 
police department, I'm thinking, oh my God, my life is over. What has happened? And when we pulled in to Tulsa County Jail, the doors went down behind the car and he looked at me and he said, if you have any drugs on you, you better let me know because it's another charge if we get you inside. And I said, no, no drugs here. Handcuffed, no idea what to do next. So they take me inside and uh, <clears throat> you can imagine what I was thinking. I'm thinking, wow, I'm gonna not only go to jail, but there could be other serious consequences of this. So as I'm handcuffed against the wall, thinking my life is over, I look over and the guy who has all my things is searching. He's searching everything. He puts his hand in my wallet. And I'm thinking, here it comes. Here it comes. Out comes his hand. He closes the wallet, puts it in a property bag, puts a lock on it. He didn't find it. That was, that was God stepping in and showing me grace, unmerited favor. Because that one event could have changed my life this direction. But instead, I continued this way. So that's when I really began to feel God's pull on my life and began to attempt to respond. I didn't even know what that meant. I just knew that I needed something. So all of this led to a horrible divorce, um, which uh, some of the effects of that still linger today. You know, I still am estranged from my four daughters. Um, so how did I get to Arkansas? I had, uh, I had quit my prominent city club chef job and took some time off and uh, after that time off I began to look for a job and that process was closed. I could not find a job suitable and I ended up uh, interviewing to work at a new hotel that was being built in Tulsa called the Renaissance and when I went in expecting to get some sort of position there were no positions available, and the chef said, hey, I can offer you a cook's job. And I just was like, what? And I remember him saying, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. And I said, no, let me think about it. I went away, I prayed, and I knew I should do it. So I took this massive step down, $10 an hour job. But it was in that job at that hotel that I met my current wife. Um, in addition to that, um, that's how I got to Arkansas. So I worked there for a couple years. The GM from this property went to Tulsa and they approached me about, do you want to go to Arkansas? They need a chef. And of course, my first response was, who wants to go to Arkansas? <laughs> I mean, really? Amen. I said, no way am I going to Arkansas to work. And, you know, about a month later, same pitch. Here comes this guy, Marcus. They need a chef. You should go over there. So, you know, I thought, I'll at least go and take a look. Maybe he'll leave me alone because, you know, this, enough of this. And uh, I remember driving over, and I just had this strange feeling like, 
really? And as I was looking for the exit, fumbling around with stuff, I saw New Hope Road. New Hope Road? Seriously, Lord, are you trying to tell me something here? (laughs) Now, normally I'm not looking for signs. You know, I'm not saying, Lord, please send me a sign. But, you know, this seemed really important because I had lost everything. I lost my home. I lost my position at a prominent city club. I lost my family, reputation, my business. I lost everything. So God was calling me. And I answered. Um, I took the job. And I came to Arkansas. Now everything seemed great for a season. You know, I had this great job. Um, My girlfriend at the time decided that uh, she'd be willing to come to Arkansas. We got married. Um, And soon after that, we were expecting our first child. Um... So things looked like God was restoring me. And uh, at about 24 weeks, Kelly began to have complications with the pregnancy that landed her in the hospital. And uh, after weeks in the hospital, it finally became too dangerous for her to carry the baby. So they induced labor. Eva Grace was born um, on September the 26th. Of course, we'd been given the, you know, rundown of all the problems that we could face if she survived, um, and it was bleak. I mean, it was bleak at best. Um, so, you know, we held her briefly, and we heard some very faint cries, and uh, she lived until just the next morning, and she died on September the 27th, which happened to be my 38th birthday. So, at first I was numb, you know, at what had happened. I was just numb the whole thing, and, uh, I officiated her funeral, and then I just went straight back to work. and didn't process this. Um, you know, and I, I did what a lot of men do. I just relied on my self-sufficiency, and uh, I buried my grief in work, and I began to drink heavily, and uh, I felt really abandoned by God because I knew he had called me to come to Arkansas. And I knew he had put Kelly and I together as a couple. But why did this happen? Why this? Um, You know, I'd lost everything once before, so I couldn't understand it. So began a decade of isolation from a community. Um, I walked away from any visible evidence of my faith at all. Um, But I think deep inside there was something. Something's still flickering there. Um, God did bless us with two other children. Um, I was still angry and disillusioned. You know, imagine my wife, she uh, was telling me about being pregnant with our son. um, And I had a a whiskey in hand and I said, oh, great, when's the blessed event? That was my attitude. Um, But at some point I began to have an awareness that I needed a friend and I needed a mentor and I needed a man to come alongside me, to help me, to help me out of this pit. Um, and I began to cry out to God. I began to really pray for that man to come. Um, you know, my wife, unknown, unknown to me, she was praying for the very same thing. Um, she never told me until later. And uh, I remember being at a point where I was actually at her dining table, pounding the table, and I was asking God, where is this man? 
I'm asking you for a man. I'm praying for this man. Do you not hear me? Am I not saying it right? What is it? What is preventing this from happening? I pleaded with him. So it was about around this time that Kelly was kind of tired of me not being the man that I should have been. So she began to take our children to church. Um, I always had a reason not to go. I was too busy. Um, Anything not to go. Too busy, have to work, I'm too tired. Not for me. Um, And after about a year of that, I finally said, you know, I'll go. I'll I'll just go. And uh, so I went. There was no burning bushes or anything. Um, You know, God didn't speak to me audibly. Um, I I think I was probably irritated that the worship went too long or it was too loud or, you know, something. And uh, the amazing thing was, though, that during this time, she was so patient. She was never demanding. She never shamed me. She just would gently say, do you want to go? And when I said no, she went anyway. She was, had resolved that if I wasn't going to take the lead, that she was going to take the kids herself. Now, I was a practical leader in our home, but I was not the spiritual leader of our home. Um, so we hadn't attended fellowship very long before um, we attended a workshop by Gary Oliver about healthy anger. And, uh, yeah, and uh, I thought maybe I could benefit from this teaching, and I was right. And, uh, you know, I had never heard God's voice as clearly as through Gary and his story. You know, here was a man who had every reason to be angry with God. And yet, he was full of joy. So this event kind of led to a conversation in the middle of the street with, with, with one of my neighbor's wives. And uh, I was telling her about how much we loved fellowship and we, we, we loved Gary's teaching. And uh, so at the end of the conversation, I went home. And within a few minutes, there was a knock at my door. I opened the door and it was Mike Eldridge. You remember the man who was obedient to the Holy Spirit? That's the man right there. So he invited me to go to man church. That's what it was then. You see, the man I'd prayed for had lived across the street for two years. God's faithful. He is so faithful. The thing was, I was still isolating. I was the guy who drove down the street, stuck my hand out the window, in the garage, garage door came down. You know, Mike's a a real sensitive guy, if you know him. And uh, I remember he, after the invitation, he just gave me this big hug and had tears in his eyes. And I was like, what happened? I knew something had just happened. And as I considered his offer, I realized to go to man church, I'd have to get up at 5 a.m. 
Now, as a drinker, that's a problem. You know, worried about being found out, you know, am I going to be able to do this thing? You know, the enemy was like, you can't do this. You can't do this. But Mike offered to drive. So I said, I'll go. You know, it was like, it was like when Jesus asked a lame man, do you want to be made well? Would, would, would I say yes to the invitation? Would I dare to change my routine? You know, take some steps toward wholeness, make some new friends, give up that old way of life. You know, God had placed not just a man, but the right man where I needed. So, you know, to my wife's utter shock and disbelief, I went. Um, I, could, I clearly remember walking through that door and being greeted by Papa D. Gave me a big hug, and I felt like I was walking into a room naked. I had no idea what this was about. I had no idea what fellowship with other men looked like. It was the most foreign thing to me. But I remember the speaker that morning was Gary Oliver. And he was talking about male friendship. That was the topic that morning. God was speaking to me. One man sitting out here. So after Gary's talk, Mike asked me if I wanted to go to breakfast. So here was another invitation. I could have said no. The pool was to say no. So I went instead, and there at the table that morning, when we arrived, was Paul DeBell, LeBron Tatum, Colin Washburn, and Gary Oliver. I mean, I, it was like I landed on a different planet. Here, here, was a, here was a group of godly men at this table. Of course, I didn't know I was sitting with a bunch of notorious sinners at the time, but who were also rescued by God, but I found that out later. So, as a few of you know, Mike leaves in the spring to go to Michigan for the summer. So here was a guy who had extended this invitation, leaving me, just abandoning me. I forgive you, Mike. Don't worry. But seriously, he, these men in the foxhole welcomed me as their own. He left me in the hands of competent men. He knew that when he left, that I was going to be with these men. Um, you know, the pull to isolate was strong even then. Um, several months later, we had another speaker here, Brian Craig, who spoke about the journey. Um, sounded good, maybe sometime in the future when I was ready. Um, four days later, Mike and I went to the daily walk at the Walmart campus, and we ran into who? Brian Craig. Yeah, and Brian, in turn, invited me to join his journey group in the fall. And of course, I, it was another, like, Whoa, wait a minute. Let me think about this. Nine months? I'm not sure I'm ready. Um, the pull was to say no and isolate. But I went to lunch with Mike that day, and uh, Mike talked me through it. I had wise counsel available to me right then. 
So it was through my journey experience and man church, now convoy, that God uh, delivered me from the stronghold of alcoholism that, you know, robbed me, robbed me of my life for so long. Um, the prayer for one man um, has turned into a deluge of men to come alongside me. I've got many men mentoring me, many men that I can call on. Um, the, the verse that really comes to mind is um, in uh, John. No, I'm sorry. The verse here is Ephesians 3. Um, I'll go ahead and read this one too, Jeremy. So, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Fruit that will last. So, in reference to the prayer for other men to come alongside, I thought of Ephesians 3. Um, and uh, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that his work within us to be glory in the church in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. To him who can do more. So the Lord knew I was pretty messed up, so he sent a whole task force of men. And uh, that gets, gets us to the foxhole. What does that mean? You know, we know it's a military term. Um, it can mean life or death if someone isn't paying attention. Um, you know, and I, I want you to go, I want you guys to see this short clip and see if that maybe our foxholes could be something like this. Straight up from underneath. Shoot, it even rained at night. Hey, Forrest. Hey, Bubba. I'm going to lean up against you. You just lean right back against me. This way, we don't have to sleep with our heads in the mud. You know why we a good partnership, Forrest? Because we be watching out for one another. Like brothers and stuff. That's a fine idea. Bubba did have a fine idea. So... Um, when we got our, when we got our, our weekly correspondence, there was a list of, you know, partnerships and that one stuck out in my mind. And the reason why is that statement at the end there, he says, keep our heads out of the mud. See, the rains came and the rains are coming. They're always coming. And if we have someone we can lean against, maybe we can keep our heads out of the mud. Um, so... This brings us to today. Um, you know, um, I recently bought a house after leasing a home for seven years. We were on vacation at Big Cedar, and on the last day, my wife saw that the house we were in was for sale. So, you know, fear rushed at me, uh, not sure what to do. I mean, I, haven't purchased, I hadn't purchased a home in over 25 years. But it just so happened one of my Foxhole brothers knew a whole lot about the process. Jim. Uh, God set me in the right foxhole. So Jim owns a realty company and was able to guide me through the whole process. Um, I wasn't alone. He was there with me. Um, most of the time I was unsure and fearful, 
Um, there were some serious time constraints. We had to be out of one place and get to the next one. And, um, you know, this real estate market is crazy. You know, you can look at a home and it can be gone like this. And, you know, um, now the pool was to isolate. Now, I showed up at my foxhole, but I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about my fear and anxiety. So really, I was isolating in plain sight. Any of you guys done that? Be in proximity to some other men, foxhole men maybe, and you're holding something back. You're isolating. Um, but Jim, he was always faithful. He was always available. He encouraged, you know, always encouraged me that it was going to work out. Um, and at one point, he even assured me that we would close no matter what. Even if it cost him his fees, we were going to close on that house. Now, that's a great picture of a man coming alongside to share someone's burden. You know, I was an isolated man rescued by God through a man who was willing to be vulnerable enough to risk and knock on my door. So where am I today? I'm going after the isolated men. I'm knocking on the doors. Taking the risk to reach out to other men. Not all of them say yes. But some of them do. You know, I'm currently guiding a journey group. You know, and I'm involved in some other men's things. Um, you know, these things are a result of, of my desire to help men overcome isolation and help them walk into the light. Um, so, you know, my wife had said it was, she's seen an unbelievable transformation. You know, a, a detached father who now can love and encourage his children. You know, I think my daughter said it best. We were at the dining table and she said, Dad... Man, church is really great. And I was like, okay, why is that? She said, well, it's different than regular church. Because they're teaching you how to be a better man. And that makes you a better dad. Because you're spending time with us, you're nicer to us, and you take us to regular church. It doesn't get much sweeter than that. You know, my wife, this last Sunday night, she thanked me for taking the kids and her out to Lake at Atlanta. And I was like, okay, no big deal, right? Well, it was a big deal. She reminded me, she said, a few years ago, that wouldn't have happened. She said that, she said, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but... I really felt like a single mom. But she said, because you were always gone, and when you weren't gone, you were gone. So, out of isolation into the light. So now it's our turn to look for the isolated men. Thank you.